So in keeping with the Holy Humor Sunday theme, I thought I'd start this section of the service off with a little bit of humor. So um, feel free to laugh or groan, whichever you think is more appropriate. So you know you are United Methodist if. Good morning has the status of a liturgical greeting in the worship service. You know that the Wesleyan quadrilateral is not a trick football play involving four lateral passes. You realize that the book of discipline is not a guide to getting your children to behave. You understand that an appointment has nothing to do with keeping a lunch date. Tithing is highly encouraged but widely ignored. The word apportionment sends chills down your spine. But your street cred is measured by what percentage of apportionments your church pays every year. You have more than three items in your possession with the cross and flame on them. You're watching Star Wars. And someone says, may the force be with you. And you automatically reply, and also with you. (laughs) You sit down while while singing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. No one has to say there will be food at a church function. It's just a given. And you consider the church potluck a sacrament. You, your brother, your sister, your significant other, your parents, and your children are all on different church committees, and none of you remember how any of you got there. There's at least one person at every church meeting who says, but we've never done it that way before. Someone raises their hand and prays during the church, and the pastor asks, Do you have a question? You walk into church on Sunday morning to find someone sitting in your pew and you feel uncomfortable sitting somewhere else. You think God's presence is strongest on the back three pews. When the pastor hits the 61-minute mark, the congregation begins to do this. And finally, your pastor moves every four to five years, and you like it that way. If you don't understand these, uh, please come see me after the service, because we really need to have a chat. I don't have a good transition from that into the scripture, except to say that in keeping with Holy Humor Sunday, I really think we couldn't have had a better story to start with. So let's go to the 20th chapter of John and read verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, And the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. 
Jesus, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, this story upon reading it sounds pretty serious, but it's also one that is really hard to believe. I think it's one that has some humor in it, too. You see, it's humorous enough that Jesus was wandering around the streets. All his disciples had seen his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane just a couple of days before. They were in the crowd when Pontius Pilate turned him over to the soldiers to be crucified. A few of them watched as he was brutally beaten and hung on a cross. And those who didn't stick around for the gruesome show had certainly heard of the completeness of Jesus' death and his entombment. Yes, they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, at least three of them that we can come up with. Yet these people had all died of natural causes that could somehow miraculously be reversed. But this, this was murder, complete with a whipping, a crown of thorns, nails and spears, and a cross. And in this case, the miracle maker himself was the victim. Yet here it was Easter morning. 
Mary Magdalene had not only seen the empty tomb and the risen Messiah, but she had had a conversation with him as well. And although we're not told definitively, presumably Mary had already relayed this message to the disciples. This whole part of the story in itself is implausible. And then we get to the rest of the story. The disciples were justifiably afraid for their lives. So they were cowering in fear in the locked house. We assume that they had already heard one, one knock at the door as Mary Magdalene sought them out to bring them the news of resurrection. And I can imagine them kind of jumping out of their skin as they cracked the door open and peeked around this way to see who was there and hustled her inside before anybody else could figure out where they were. And I can just as easily imagine that shortly after her arrival, the disciples established a new rule. No one was to open the door under any circumstances. It didn't matter who knocked. Nobody else was getting in. Even if it was Thomas, who for some reason was off by himself and not with the others. But it really didn't matter. Jesus showed up anyway. There was no knock. There was no shushing of those gathered so outsiders wouldn't hear signs of life behind the walls. There didn't have to be an opening of the door. Jesus just suddenly appeared in the midst of the ten disciples. Apparently, he just walked through the walls. No wonder Luke's gospel of this account tells us that the disciples were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. As we continue reading this comical story, we next come across what I think is a rather odd greeting. Jesus didn't jump out and yell, Surprise! Nor did he simply say hello or even, Hey, what's up, dudes? Instead, Jesus looked at these people and said, Peace be with you. And then he proceeded to show them his battered body, his nail-pierced hands, and the puncture wound in his side. Now I know that we're supposed to read this and understand that the greeting was done in this way to calm the fears of the disciples. It was sort of a show-and-tell meant to prove that it really was indeed Jesus who was standing there before them, and that it really was a flesh-and-blood life, not some sort of ghost that appeared before them. Yet, as a wrestling mom, I can't help but have another picture in my head. I have this picture of Jesus showing his wounds and his scars, and the disciples responding with sort of a morbid curiosity that says, the gorier it is, the cooler it is as if his injuries were some sort of badge of honor. Wrestlers are kind of a weird bunch that way, and if you don't believe me, ask uh, Carl or any parent who has had 
a child in the sport. They react somehow in this disgusting manner that still holds some manner of fascination. Perhaps this is why Jesus repeated himself. Perhaps again he said, peace be with you, in order to get their attention off of his body and his tragedy and on to the business at hand. Yet it is then that this story, I think, gets really kind of weird. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven in them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Really, Jesus? This was a big deal. You see, prior to Jesus, it was widely understood that nobody except God could forgive sins. Yet here was this once dead, now fully alive man, God, bestowing this heavy responsibility on his church leadership team. And he did it simply by breathing on them. There was no passing of the mantle, no proper ceremony, and not even a formal announcement for the Jerusalem press. Just the hot, fishy-smelling breath of Jesus wafting over them. It's akin to me eating onions for lunch, blowing in your face and saying, go forth and conquer. It's not exactly something that would make you like me in that moment. And it's certainly not something that would empower you to go into the neighborhood to work for me. Yet this is exactly what John told us happened. Is it any wonder then that Thomas doubted the story that was told to him later? If we take away the hundreds of years of people telling us how we are supposed to think and read this story through the eyes of a skeptical teenager instead, we would have a hard time believing it as well. It is just too crazy to be true. Imagine how you would react if you witnessed a workplace shooting in which your much-loved boss was gunned down and bled out before your eyes. How many of you would honestly believe it if you came back from lunch three days later and a group of co-workers said, I know we all saw Jim Bob die. We saw the coroner roll him out of here in a body bag on a gurney. And we all attended his funeral. We watched as they lowered the casket into the grave and covered it with dirt. But guess what? Jim Bob was here while you were gone to lunch today. He just appeared. And we didn't have to open the door and let him in. He talked to us, showed us where he was shot. Then he breathed his onion breath on us and told us, we're all going to get a promotion to his job. Wouldn't you kind of roll your eyes at them and say, yeah, right, guys. That's a colorful story, but I'll believe it when I see it. I have to admit that if this happened to me, I would also be labeled 
as a doubter. This is a crazy and unbelievable story. But we are children of a God who does crazy and unbelievable things. God impregnated a virgin, foregoes a place in heaven to live as a human being, and antagonizes those in power. He defies the laws of the church, associates with those deemed unclean, and leads by serving. God plays the ultimate practical joke on the devil when he says, when he dies and tells Satan, I'm only kidding, and rises again. And he caps off this practical joke by appearing to the disciples in the midst of their fear and grief so that they and we may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So for today, open your eyes and see what God has done. Dance. Sing. Celebrate the victory of resurrection over death and a tomb. Join your voice with that of God, who is sitting in heaven and laughing at Satan with us. And remember that after the resurrection, ten men excitedly told Thomas, we have good news and we have bad news. The good news is that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The bad news is he is really steamed about last Friday. Happy Holy Humor Sunday. Be joyful. Ring the bells, because Jesus Christ is risen today. Alleluia and amen.